This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Won't you open your Bibles to, or just listen if you want, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to speak to you this morning about something I've titled, uh, more than a title, I come with credentials. More than a title, I come with credentials. We've kind of been laying the foundation over the last few weeks about the, the, the fact that God has got a plan and a purpose for each person's life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Lorna, wake up. He's got a plan and he's got a purpose for your life. In Romans chapters 1 to 11, he starts to speak about his plans and his intentions and how he's provided everything that you need to be able to walk into the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. If you're a new uh, born-again believer, read Romans 1 to 11. It'll give you the most concise and and accurate description of what it means to be a born-again believer and to walk into the life of God. It's detailed for you. And at the end of that, we get to Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, it starts off by sitting saying, I've done everything for you, but now there is a place where I want to introduce you to how you can walk into the fullness of what I've provided for you. In verses 1 and 2, he starts to detail something. He starts off by saying, by the mercies of God, therefore, I beseech you. What he's saying is, in light of everything that I've done for you, all the provision that's been made for you, now I'm going to send you on a journey. And what he's saying to us is this, I want you to understand something. I'm going to talk about your role and your responsibilities in partnering together with me so that we can walk into what I have provided for you. So I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies. What he's saying is, I need for you to give your body to me. I need for you to consecrate your body, which says, I understand the role that my body plays, and it's set apart for his service. It belongs to him. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind, he wants to affect and change so that you become a product of something else. So that you're not only your body is consecrated and belongs to him, but my mind is something which is dedicated and becomes a product of who he is. Because when I get to that place, he says, then you'll be able to prove the will of God. The will of God is everything that he's just detailed for you in Romans 1 through 11. What he's saying is, all that stuff that I've told you about, all that stuff that I've just advertised about me and who I am and what I've provided for you, do you want it? Okay, this is how you get it. So he's sending us on a journey. It's important for us to understand the fact that God wants to work with us in terms of a partnership. When God created man, we were designed to live from a place of intimacy of relationship with him. And in that context, it was him and I living intimately. It's not me running off doing my own thing. 
And because of that, our relationship with God nowadays, it, it is, becomes a vital and integral part to us walking into what we believe our calling is and what he has for us. We're able to do certain things in our own strength because in our humanity, you were built for purpose. So you have certain skills and certain abilities. You have certain understandings. You have propensities in certain ways. You have what God has built into you in your humanity to be able to fulfill certain things. But the true expression of who we are only really comes into effect when we take who we are and we submit it to him. It only comes into effect when I didn't say, it no longer belongs to me, it belongs to you. Take that and use it for the full expression of what you want it to be. So it's important that we understand the one who created me, the one who designed my destiny and my purpose is the one who's going to work with me so that I can walk into the fulfillment of what that is, so that I can learn what the direction of that is. God has designed us as human beings to realize our full potential in relationship with him. What he does is he begins to work with us, and as he begins to show us who we are in him, we walk into more expansive living. Things that I couldn't do before, opportunities that never existed before, as I begin to identify and recognize who he's really designed me to, do, to be, and I step into that place, suddenly I realize I can do some things that I never thought I could do before. What's happening? All of a sudden, I'm realizing that my, identi my identity is inter integrally, blah, 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 is, inter is closely interconnected with my purpose. Let's just change the whole phrase. Your identity is interconnected with your purpose. If we live from a place of inability, my purpose is compromised. Anytime I move to a place where God says, let me move you into more expansive living in that area. Let me have a look at deficits that you have and let me remedy that. Let me move you to a place where you're a little bit dysfunctional in that area and let me move it to a place of wholeness and completion in me. What he's doing is he's enlarging and expanding who we are in our true identity in him. And when I move into that place, I begin to recognize opportunities and see my ability to make contributions in areas where I couldn't do that before. As I begin to move into my destiny with him, my purpose begins to unfold. If you have a look at 2 Corinthians. Uh, where am I? That's not the right. Where am I? 2 Corinthians 3.18. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who, are brightly who, who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. Our intention is to be like him. That's what he's called us to be. We are moving from a place where we used to be and, who, and what used to define me to a place where I'm beginning to recognize who he is. And I'm allowing that to have influence and to be able to change who I am. God's wanting to do some stuff in our life that affects us holistically, spirit, soul, and body, in every aspect of our life. God appears to somebody called Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I've got a calling for you. I've got a purpose for your life. And Abraham says, great, that's wonderful. I'm excited. And he says, excellent. Well, the first thing you need to do is move from every place that you've been, and I'm going to take you somewhere. And he says, where? And he says, just follow me. Your body doesn't belong to you. 
There's a practical aspect to the fact that our body doesn't belong to us. I live from a place of obedience. In my relationship with him, whatever he calls me to do, I step into that place and I'm quick to obey him. I'm moving, I'm, a, I'm giving him the opportunity to have influence in the way that my body is directed every single day. I want you to go over to that person. I want to tell them how much I love them. And no matter what the circumstances and situation that they're going through right at the moment, I'm aware of it and I'm with them and I'll see them through it. But I can't do that, Lord. What if I'm wrong? What will they think of me? You're dead. Your body doesn't belong to you. There's a reason why he says, give me your body. Because only one person can sit in the driver's seat, him or me. I'm compromised in moving into my purpose for life if I want to continually grab hold of the steering wheel. What he's saying is, give me your body. In all aspects, take your direction from me. And when I take my direction from him, he's going to lead me places. He's going to introduce me to new avenues, new opportunities. But I have to be at a place where I'm able to hear his voice, recognize his invitation, and be quick to obey it. The disciples spent three years with him. And at the end of spending three years with him, they went upstairs one day. Spent some time praying and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and changes them. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to say to them, do you know what? Everything that you saw him do was an invitation for you to step into that. Everything that you saw him do was truth. And the invitation is for you to allow that to begin to redefine who you are. Because when you allow who he is to redefine who you are, you'll step into something new and you'll begin to do some stuff that you couldn't do before. They were called to be fishers of men. But fishers of men weren't capable of being fishers of men in their own capacity. Fishers of men needed something new. It needed something divine. It needed the influence of the Holy Spirit. In our lives, in the way that we move forward, God has a plan and God has a purpose for us. And it's important that we understand what it is that we're ultimately looking for. Are you looking for achievement or are you looking for fulfillment? Because they're not the same thing. There are lots of people who said achievement is their goal. I want to be the wealthiest man in the world. I want to be the most successful businessman. I want to be the most accomplished politician. I want it's, it's all an aspiration. It's a sense of achievement. The challenge is, if we follow achievement, you may actually achieve what you want, only to discover that there's no fulfillment in it. Your goal is not achievement. Your goal is fulfillment. If your goal is fulfillment, I move myself in a different direction. I change my goal and I shift the way that I approach life. And I move to a place where I sit and say, Father, what is it that you want for me? Because I know that fulfillment can only come through you. And so I need your direction because I'm heading in that space. It takes all of who we are. There's a saying, talk is cheap. I love Jesus enough to die for him. Enough to die for him. I think that there's so much that we have available to us in the Christian life that's accessible to us. The thing about it is, how much do we want it? I can't say I want it. 
To what degree am I prepared to commit my body to it? To what degree am I prepared to sit and say, everything that is part of me, spirit, soul, and body belongs to you. And I'm, allow, I'm prepared to put it in that place where it allows your influence so that I'm changed and transformed in each part of who I am. And I become a living representation, the word made flesh dwelling amongst the world. I don't get to do those things. It's the word in me that brings those things about. But it requires something of me. There are, there are, I I was never, education's an interesting thing. I've told you this before. But it's like, I I don't know why we can't just maintain certain things in life. My, My kids study stuff. And like when I was at school, we studied history. Now they have social studies. I didn't even know what that was till they explained it to me. I said, you mean history? And they went, yes. I said, why don't you just call it that? We used to study English. Now they have language arts. And it's like, what, what is that supposed to mean? I've heard most people's language and the most colorful it gets is not very colorful at all. But I was, uh, my, my, my hardest subject at school was always math. I hated that. And the worst part of math was geometry. Oh, I don't know. It, it was just hideous. At least, me and Rafa, at least algebra made a little bit of sense to me. But th- there is something in algebra called variables and constants. Variables and constants. Variables are things that come into the mix that are subject to change. The thing about a variable is it's here today, gone tomorrow. It looks like this today, but it may not be the same tomorrow. It's a variable. It changes. You can't rely on it. You can't depend on it. There are all kinds of variables in our lives. Relationships are variables. Friendships are variables. We've got great friendship right now, and we really see eye to eye, and things go really well. But things can change, and friendships can change. And they're not the same as they used to be. It doesn't mean that variables are necessarily bad. We can be thankful for some things called variables because we want part of our life to be variables. I'm very happy that my future is a variable. The fact that my future is a variable means it can change. It means that it can be influenced. It means that I can have some say into where I'm going. It's not locked into anything. I'm happy that every single day is a variable. I wake up. You don't know what that day is going to bring. Yesterday had one thing. Today has another thing. And I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Because it's a variable. It's a variable. But the thing about variables is this. Variables you can influence. Just don't use them for construction. Variables you can influence. It's nice that my relationships are a variable because I'm not stuck at a place. I'm not stuck in this place and that's the full extent of our relationship. What keeps it robust and what keeps it interesting is that it's a variable. It can grow. It can morph. It can move into new areas that are fresh areas because it's a variable. My life can change and morph and can move into different areas. My future can take on a new complexion because it's a variable. Variables are great because it allows me the opportunity to have influence in that space. But don't build your life on it. It's not good construction material. 
Because you build it on something and you're going to discover what you had and what you could rely on yesterday was a variable. And suddenly your job is pulled out from underneath you and it's not the same as it used to be. Suddenly my marriage is pulled out from underneath me and I suddenly realize it's not as reliable as I thought it should be. Because it's a constant. Uh, It's a variable. It's a variable. But in the context of variables, we also have something called uh, called constants. The thing that's great about a constant is that it's dependable. The thing that's wonderful about a constant is a constant is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It doesn't change. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't move. You can rely on it. A constant is something like the sun will come up tomorrow. You can rely on that. And because the sun's going to come up tomorrow, it gives me the opportunity to sit and say, tomorrow I can be sure of. It's going to introduce a variable called a new day, which I can influence. But I'm guaranteed that I'm not stuck where I am right now because tomorrow's on its way. And it's going to offer me the opportunity of redefinition. Seasons are constant. We move out of spring and we move into summer. We move from summer and we move into fall. We move from fall and we move into... Because seasons are constant. You know what it means? It means no matter where you are right at the moment, no matter what's happening right at the moment, if you go and plant some seed... I feel like i got seed in my mouth, sorry. I don't know what that is. If you plant seed, it's because of seasonality that seed doesn't stay the way that it is. Seed begins to grow and seed begins to move and seed shoots itself up. And over seasons, it moves to a place where it produces a harvest. Things that are planted in your life because of seasonality, you can be sure, you can rely on the fact that it's going to grow up and it's going to produce fruit in your life. Seed your life well. Seed your life well. There are constants and there are variables. Constants are wonderful things for building material. Build your life on constants. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. In the context of a constant, he says, I'm telling you, constants, things that don't move, things that are rocks, things you can rely on, things that are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Give thanks because the Lord is good. His goodness is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will never change his goodness. It is a constant. Here is the shocker. You thought God could do anything, but he can't. God has no choice when it comes to goodness. It's not only part of his character. It's his nature. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, what ends up happening is God never gets out of bed on the wrong side. He's never got up grumpy. You've never experienced God in a bad mood. God is good all of the time. God is a constant all of the time. Goodness is what you can hold on to. 
Because goodness is running after you. Goodness is intent on overwhelming you. He is good all of the time. You may be in situations that you don't understand. There may be things at play that you're not able to fully comprehend. There might be challenges that perhaps seem formidable. I want you to know something. God is good. God is good. And if you look, you will find his goodness. I'm telling you now, no matter what happens, any time you enter a situation, a challenge, a circumstance, or a mess, your starting point is God is good. I can rely on that. I may not understand it. I may not be able to make sense of it. I may not be able to define it. I may not even be able to necessarily see it in all that's happening. But I know because it's a constant. God is good. God is good. The good news is a good God only does and says good things. That's what he does. He is good. Jesus wouldn't be the Christ if God wasn't good. The gospel would be the good news if God wasn't good. You wouldn't be forgiven, saved, redeemed, blessed, prosperous, healed, and whole if God wasn't good. The very fact that you don't have to prove and you don't have to walk towards earning anything that he has for you is proof that God is good. You want to know your starting point for life? God is good. God's goodness is designed to affect who you are. Because you are to be light and life. You are to be salt. Don't go and tell the world about God's goodness. They don't want to hear what you have to say. Show it to me. Show me his favor. Show me his blessing. Show me his provision. Show me his healing. Show me the good God. That's what the world is looking for. I'm not only a person of title, but I come with credentials. Psalm. Where is this? What is this? What are these notes here? Psalm chapter. Uh, sorry. Um, actually, I don't want to read that just yet. Just hold on. Just hold on. God is good. Let's go this way. Um, The goodness of God is designed to overwhelm you. 
the goodness of God is designed to touch and affect you and change you and leave you in a place. When you encounter God's goodness, you'll never leave there the same way. You will be touched and you'll be transformed. Not because of anything that you did, but because you encountered goodness. You encountered goodness. When I started working, my first job was in advertising. I was an interesting mix because I enjoyed creativity, but I kind of, I liked what business had to offer, but I didn't want to be an accountant and I didn't want to be an economist. Those were just not, those didn't rub me the right way. So if you're looking for creativity in the commercial world, advertising is a good option. So I went and I got my job in advertising. And the thing is, when you start to work, one thing that you have to have is transport. And so I had to go and get a car. And so when I went to go and get my car loan, one of the questions in filling out the loan application was, what is your profession? And I wrote, advertising executive. (laughs) It sounds so larny. I had no clue what it meant. (laughs) I had the title... But I really had no idea what an ad man was. I carried the title. I was employed. It was right. I had the title without the credentials. But something interesting happened over the next year. You see, I was immersed in the industry. And when you're immersed in the in agency life, you're exposed to lots of different people. So I was exposed to clients. And it was interesting meeting with so many different clients who were in so many different um, areas. We, I, I had a, a, a radio station as one of my clients. And I had an FMCG client. Um, and I had a pharmaceutical client. And I had a number of different clients. It's always interesting meeting with them because there's so many different industries. And all of that stuff kind of permeates and fills you. Agency life I found lovely and exciting and dynamic because it's filled with all kinds of people. I love spending time with the strategic people because they would sit and they would partner with clients to try and understand what is the commercial landscape in which you find yourself? What does it look like when we have a look at your competitive set? How do we position you so that you have a unique and differentiated advantage to everybody else? And how do we take that and effectively communicate it with people? I loved it because you got to mix with creative people who are just out there somewhere. Don't have a meeting before 10. You can with strategic people, but no creative is coming. They'll work till 3 in the morning, but don't ask them to make a 10 o'clock meeting. But I love the way their brains thought and the way that they were expansive and that they would take something which was so technical and which was defined in terms of this is the problem that we're facing and being able to take that and interrogate it and scrutinize it and develop a piece of communication that effectively took a problem and presented a challenge, and presented a, a challenge to people that affected consumer behavior. I know what you used to think. I know what you used to believe. But listen to this, and it may change your purchasing patterns. It's so interesting. I found that fascinating. Media people. Media people know more about you you than you realize. Media people break everybody up into psychographics. And they understand your psychographic profile. 
They understand who you are. Media people are fascinating. They'll sit and tell you about who different people are and why they listen to this and why they watch that and why you won't find them in this space. And if you need to communicate with them, communicate with them over here. Don't go over there because you're never going to find them. They know everything about it. They have all the data about you. It's fascinating. So at the end of a year, they decided that they would give me a charity account for me to run. They always give you a charity account to start off with because if the wheels come off horribly, it never affects the agency. (laughs) So they give you a charity account. And I met and I had my first real client. And I walked in and I met the client and we began to speak. And you know what happened? I was shocked at what came out of my mouth. A year of immersion. And I was saying stuff out of my mouth. And I was thinking, where did that come from? I never made any concerted effort to learn stuff. I never made any effort to change who I was. I was just immersed in the culture. And I became a product of the culture. And so when I walked into that meeting, I carried with me a transformed person. Now I not only had the title, but I had the credentials to some degree. And I could sit there and I could talk to them about the landscape that they find themselves in and who they were and what they were trying to do and what they were trying to accomplish and had they considered this and what about this as a creative option and what about media platforms to explore and all of the stuff came out and I knew nothing of it a year before. Not because I did anything, but I lived in immersion. Things happen when you live in the immersion Being immersed in goodness. Things happen in your life when you're immersed in goodness. You don't even intentionally have to try and do some stuff, but it's going to begin to change you because there is power in immersion of goodness. It'll begin to touch you and affect you in ways that you least expected. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there to bring about change in you. Goodness is there to change you so that you become a product of what it looks like. It depends. Is my body consecrated and is my mind sold out to him? I'm making it available. How do I make it available? Because I'm intentional. Because I get the word of God which begins to speak to me about what his goodness is all about. And I sit and I meditate on his word. Why? Because I'm immersing myself in goodness. And when I immerse myself in goodness, change starts to happen. I used to be so flagrant with my mouth. I would say the first thing that came into my mind wasn't always complimentary, wasn't always good, sometimes even a little profane. But strange things started to happen because the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart started to change because of goodness. I didn't do it, but I became aware of the fact that my words were seeds. And all of a sudden, it began to, goodness began to touch and change who I was. Everybody lives in a space where we're so aware of our deficits. I know my shortcomings. I know my inabilities. I'm self-aware of those areas of my life where I feel vulnerable. I know all of that stuff. But when you begin to immerse yourself in goodness, what you'll begin to discover is that my grace is sufficient for you. 
And my power is perfected in weakness. All of those areas of your life where you're seeing deficit, where you're seeing shortcomings, where you're seeing inadequacy, where you're self-aware, he's sitting saying, my grace is to introduce you to something new. My grace is there to change who you are. My grace is there to introduce you to what it is to become a living representation of goodness. His power does it. It's perfected in weakness. I used to be at a place where I was a control freak. Had issues. I had to control everything. I had to look after everything. And he says, you know what? For freedom, Christ has set us free. You don't need to hold on to your life and control your life. It's not going to turn around and bite you. Freedom will take you to a place where you can step out of that and you can step out comfortably knowing that goodness has brought you from where you were and introduced you to freedom. And you can live in that place. You don't have to go back to where you were. Now I can give you Proverbs. Not Psalms, Proverbs. Just checking that you're paying attention. Chapter 20, verse 24. It says... The, it's, It is the Lord who directs your life for each step you take is ordained by God to bring you closer to your destiny. So much of your life then remains a mystery. What he's saying is God is working in your life. Goodness is working in your life and in your situations. And you may not understand things all of the time, but you can take reassurance in the fact that the goodness of God is the constant that I can always rely on. I can take comfort and confidence in the fact that the goodness of God is leading me to a place where with regularity, he's exposing me to areas of my life where I might feel uncomfortable, where I might feel vulnerable. And it's intentional because what he's saying is, I'm wanting to introduce you to my goodness. And my goodness is there to come in and to change who you are. My goodness is there to make you something that you weren't before. What is he trying to make you? Holy. He is on a mission to make you holy. What is holiness? Wholeness and completion in him. The moment that you were born again, spirit went out old and became brand new. I became a brand new creation in him. It is the same principle that he is using and applying for everything else because he's taking what's on the inside and he's moving it outwards. What he's saying is, will you give me your body? Out with the old and in with the new. I'm the new driver. It's consecrated and dedicated to me. What he's saying is, will you give me your mind? Will you give me your thinking? It's out with the old and in with the new. The thing with it is, he's not trying to give you the thoughts of God. He's trying to give you God's way of thinking. It is a disposition to life. It is a disposition to life. The challenge that we have is, if you have a look in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verses 5 to 7. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. God is doing something in who we are because the challenge with it is we don't have a placeholder for the things of God. 
A carnal mind doesn't think the way that God does. And so the thing is, it cannot receive the things of God for they are foolishness to him. So what he's saying is, I'm trying to change the way that you think so that you have a disposition that is like mine. Because when the way that you think is like the way that God thinks, it's very easy for God to feed it. Because I'm sitting at that place where I understand those things. And I'm able to take the things of his and digest them into me. And it becomes a part of what begins to define the way that I think. I don't know if I have this right, because I'm not a tech person. But you cannot feed Windows into an Apple computer. Is that right, Dave? He's more confused than me. (laughs) You cannot feed Windows into an Apple computer. Why? Because it can't really read it. It's like, what what is it? What's the language? I can't get it. What What do you want me to do? What are you trying to say to me? What is the instruction? If you want to work off Apple, you've got to have an Apple platform. Then you can feed Apple products into it. If you want Windows, you've got to have a Windows platform. Then you can feed Windows into it. The challenge that we have is when we have a carnal mind and we're trying to receive the things of God, we don't get it because we don't see the way that God sees. He's trying to feed me and I'm trying to interpret what he's saying to me from a carnal point of view. All things have become, all things are passed away and have become brand new he needs to give us a new disposition he wants to give us a center that we live from the way that we change the way that we think is by getting into the word of God because his words are spirit and life and they begin to change us How does faith come? Hearing, spirit, and life. What I'm proposing to you is this. Faith is a substance. What I'm suggesting is what God wants to do is God wants to recreate the way that we think. And the substance that he's going to use to do that is something called faith. It's not something which is nebulous. It is something which is designed to recreate and give definition to goodness inside of my very heart, the center of my being. Because when that begins to take root on the inside of me and takes definition in terms of goodness, I live from my heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What ends up happening? All of a sudden when goodness begins to take root on the inside of me and begins to establish substance on the inside of me, it begins to change the way that I see things because all of a sudden his substance inside of me changes my viewpoint on life and circumstances and situations. All of a sudden I move to a place where I recognize the, the fact that the way that I feel is beginning to shift and change. I didn't intentionally do that. What happened? Goodness is taking root on the inside of me. And all of a sudden, because of my disposition is different and is changed and is beginning to reflect goodness, it's coming out in my emotions. I feel different. I feel a sense of peace. I feel a sense of joy. It wasn't because of anything that I did. It's because goodness is taking root on the inside of me. 
Why is it that I start making some decisions that I would never have made before? Because all of a sudden, goodness is taking root on the inside of me, and it's affecting the way that I assimilate information and look at things, and I begin to make changes because I don't feel that that's right. I feel I should be doing this. And everybody around you says, are you mad? Why? Because you can't receive the things of God. But there's something on the inside of me that says, I don't know why I'm telling you that's the right way to go. You want to know the wisdom of God? Get goodness established on the inside of you. Get goodness on the inside of you and it'll begin to change. Because when you live from that that place, you'll exercise wisdom. It's important for us to understand that God is wanting to use our life as a puzzle. When you put the puzzle pieces together, you have a beautiful picture. And you can show everybody. But when a puzzle is all mangled up, and it's all in the box, it isn't there for anybody to really appreciate. Every puzzle piece is important. Every piece has a place. And because of that, it's important that we understand that every piece is to be incorporated into our life because it makes us whole and complete and balanced. What we have a tendency to do sometimes in Christianity is we have our favorite subject. We have our pet things that we love. And so I want to be a person of love. Love is important. You need to have love. It's the basis to everything. It's the key driver of why God, he just expresses his, it undergirds goodness. It's his love. You have to have love. Love is an important part. It's an important piece in the puzzle. But you can't just live off love. Love has to have some kind of definition. It has to be given some kind of structure. Well, what does love actually mean? And so I'm introduced to something called grace. Oh, I've got another piece to the puzzle now. I can't just have love. I also have to have grace. Because grace is speaking to me about the very fact that he loves me so much. This is how I want you to experience my love. But I can't just live on love or grace. Because it's by grace through faith. And I recognize I need another piece to the puzzle. I've got to have faith as well. It's how we take the things of the kingdom and how we integrate them into our lives. It's how we work collaboratively with God. What I'm saying to you is this. Understand that every single thing that you read in the Bible is there for purpose. It's a piece of the puzzle. Love is important. It's a piece. Grace is important. It's a piece. Faith is important. It's a piece. Righteousness, sanctification, justification, holiness. Everything is there in its entirety. Find out why the piece is there. Find out why it's there. Our lives need to reflect goodness in its totality. We end up in trouble when you end up with a pet doctrine. And that's all we hold on to. Because what ends up happening is I look through all of scripture and my interpretation of who he is through that one thing. And so I become one dimensional. I have my piece in the puzzle and it's a good piece and it's a nice piece and it's an important piece. But I don't have any other pieces. He put the pieces in the box. Not me. But they're all in there for a reason. Why are they in there? 
when I begin to explore them, I understand that they're all in there intentionally to make me complete and fully rounded. God has a purpose in all that he does. And God starts at the end point, and he goes, and to walk into that, how do we go backwards? So what did he say? God's purpose was, this is how you prove the will of God. That's his purpose. What he's saying is, everything that I've given you in the first 11 chapters of Romans, my intention is for you to prove it. I'm talking about credentials. Prove it. So he says, how do you prove it? Okay, here's the journey we're going to go on. Number one, surrender your body. Consecrate it. Father, it's yours. You take it. Put in the, I'm putting you in the driver's seat. I will be honoring of the fact that that's where you are, and I will be quick to obey what it is that you ask me to do. The body no longer belongs to me. It belongs to you. It's a living sacrifice. I'm alive, but you give direction. It's yours. You take ownership. Goodness is to come in and to move into that space. Not only to give him your body, but he secondly says, renew your mind. What he's saying is, I want you to change the way that you used to be. I don't want you anyway, anymore to be a product of the world. I don't want you to be a product of your upbringing. I don't want you to be a product of your environment. I don't want you to be a product of your education. I want for you to be a product of my goodness. When I become a product of his goodness, all of a sudden I move to a place where he starts to give definition to who it is that I am in terms of my thinking. I think from a different place because my disposition is a disposition of goodness. What ends up happening? It moves me to a place where all of a sudden I recognize that I'm in a space that I've read about for a long time. But I didn't know what it actually really meant tangibly. You know what the space is? It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In a meaningful way. It's not just because he's locked up on the inside on my spirit and he has no access to my body or my mind. All of a sudden I find myself in a place where all of who I am is consecrated and submitted to him. And it's sitting saying, I need for you to come in and to take ownership of all of those things. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Not just inside of who I am, but in every part of my being. Why is that important? Because I want to prove his will. This is the gist of what I want to say. I've interrogated this. Because we want to move to a place where we don't just know about God, but we encounter him on an ongoing basis. I want to know when I pray for something, I live in the expectation of, I want to see his will. If I lay hands on somebody, I want to see his will. I want to know it. I want to prove it. Do you know what the word prove means? The word prove means to make manifest to the senses. I want to take his will and make it manifest to the senses. This is what I believe. I believe that power rests 
and holiness. That being, not because of your works. Holiness is not an act of your works. It's an extension of your faith. I received him as Lord and Savior by my faith. His grace, my faith. That's to grow in every aspect of my being. Him coming in and redefining who I am. Moving into every space. And as he moves into each space in my life, as he begins to saturate those areas in his goodness, as I begin to reflect him and no longer me, what should end up happening in my life is my power quotient and my power base begins to move. My power barometer should begin to shift. Why? Because he can do things that I can't do. If all he does is live on the inside of me, I can pray those things and believe that he does it. But he wants to do it through you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know why? Because I'm just the body. He has everything else. When he has everything else and he gives direction and he says, do this and you go and do it, something's going to happen. Why? Because all of who I am is no longer alive. But he is. God has an incredible plan for our lives. God has an incredible plan for each one of us and he wants us to move into that space and realize what it is to prove his will. He is such a good God. He is incredible and his goodness never changes. It's always there undergirding. It's always there inviting us into saturation. It's always there looking for an opportunity to personify itself through you. As we begin to move into that space where he begins to redefine who we are, we can move into the space where we can live in the expectation of sitting saying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I just want to thank you for incredible people. I want to thank you, Father, people that you just love so very much. I want to thank you for all that you've built into every single person here. I want to thank you for your love for them. I want to thank you for your goodness that is a constant through every single aspect of life. I thank you, Father, for variables in our life. Variables that we can take the constant and use it to have influence in that space. I thank you for people of power. I thank you for people of vision. I thank you for people who are transformers, people who do incredible things and exploits for you. I thank you for a peculiar people, a holy people, a royal priesthood. That show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his glorious light. Make it a week of action. The good news I have for you is that God's goodness wants to overwhelm you this week. Live in the expectation of being run over. It's going to run over you. Every time you encounter something where you feel a deficit, where you're aware of something which puts you in a place of compromise, recognize his grace is looking to flood in. 
and made, be made strong in that place. If there's anybody out there and you want prayer for anything, please come down at the end of the service because there'll be people down here who can pray for you. They'll agree with you on things and they'll introduce God into that situation. Live in the expectation of his will being proven. Have a great week.